Hello, and welcome to another episode of Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to review the craptastic cash-ins so that you don't have to. My name is Ash, and I'm finally joined again by Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Good evening. We are back after six, seven months away. Yeah. Uh, we have survived the apocalypse, <laughs> and uh, if you're listening to this, then you have as well, so congratulations. It's been seven long months since our last episode that we did, which was actually the Razzies special. And then I think... Which didn't go ahead. It didn't go ahead. <laughs> uh, but then eventually it did. And I, by that point, I couldn't be bothered to check. So oh, did it actually go ahead? Uh, it did go ahead at uh, some point, but the ceremony, it wasn't a ceremony because it couldn't have been a ceremony. So yeah. I don't actually know who won or <laughs> if our predictions were correct. Maybe you guys out there do. Um, but if you want to go back and listen to that episode, we did review uh, five of the worst movies from 2019 to 2020. Seems trivial now <laughs> to, uh, to to bitch about movies that came out when there have been no movies that have come out in the last six months. But we are back here to uh, to cheer you all up, hopefully, and, and talk about some, some shitty old movies that you can definitely uh, go and check out. So today we are going to be reviewing two... Movies that were basically cash-ins on very successful toys from the 80s. So that's the Garbage Pail Kids movie and Masters of the Universe, both from 1987. Mm. Are you aware of either of these franchises before we watch these films, Mark? Definitely Masters of the Universe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a classic for a lot of people sort of our age to have grown up watching. Yeah. But I hadn't seen it. It wasn't part of my uh, part of my childhood. Yeah, I'm a 35 year old man with a He-Man T-shirt in my collection yeah. that I wear often, and get other 35 year old men saying, <laughs> "Oh, that's a nice T-shirt. Oh, He-Man. Yeah." So a lot, a lot of us do fondly remember yeah. Masters of the Universe. I um, hadn't heard of Garbage Pail Kids no, until recently. I bet you wish you hadn't. <laughs> um, so we'll talk about uh, Garbage Pail Kids first then so for the uninitiated or younger viewers maybe that the garbage pail kids were a parody of the cabbage patch kids which were these really cutesy dolls from the uh, mid 80s um that, like were just fat baby doll things um really cutesy so they they designed this parody rather than the cabbage patch the garbage pail kids and they would all have their own sort of uh, power is a bit of a stretch but this sort of weirdness about them you know one would one would fart one would vomit one would um you know be toxic radioactive you know all these different like gross things it would be just trying to do the opposite of the cabbage patch kids yeah which were meant to be really cute and cuddly it's like the care bears and the wear bears if anyone remembers that mm-hmm. as well so they were wildly successful, so successful that they got sued by the makers of the Cabbage Patch Kids <laughs> for being a, a blatant uh, rip-off. Yeah. I thought there were sort of laws protecting parodies, but um, I guess when you're making money hand over fist, there, there has to be some sort of uh, amendment to your, to your design. <laughs> um, and a lot, of, a lot of the Garbage Pail Kids, they were trading cards, not actual dolls, um, but they were banned in schools as well because parents were worried about the... The bad influence they would have on their children, you know, the children would start farting and picking their nose, uh, etc. You know, as if as if they were giving ideas to them. You know, all these terrible crimes they'll uh, yeah. do. This was sort of, I think, this was somewhere between the um, Dungeons and Dragons turned my kid into a Satanist and the Doom turned my son into a, a machine gun toting <laughs> maniac. You know, we're, we're somewhere in 1987, somewhere in the middle there. 
This is from 1987, Garbage Pale Kids movie, the full title. Uh, something I've never, I don't think I've really ever seen. A meta score of one. Yeah, just oh my god. one. And uh, a Rotten Tomatoes zero percent. <laughs> now, I looked this up earlier today, and there are only about 40 ish films that have ever got a rotten, a zero percent uh, rotten, yeah, rather. <laughs> Many films have been rotten. Uh, a zero percent rotten. Um, we've only reviewed. One of them, which was Gotti, oh, from God. two years ago, um, Razzie special. So, yeah, a lot of those on there we haven't looked at. So perhaps we've got more more digging to do. There's plenty more out there for us. Yeah. But um, this is one of them. Zero percent rotten. One on Metascore. Um, one of the most notorious bad films ever. So it's it's about time we we got to it. Really. Film starts off with some sort of weird outer space montage and all of the trading cards the original trading cards are just like flying in front of the the camera to show you basically what what characters you're going to be seeing hmm. and then you sort of cut to a, a a weird curio shop these kids are emerging from this sort of oozing trash can garbage pail is just an american word for yeah. for trash can i guess um there's like a posh english guy that owns the shop and uh, it's a little bit of a cliche, I think, of lots of films from this era, of there being a sort of a, the protagonist being a little kid who's being bullied, and to avoid the bullying, he goes to hang out in like a weird shop. Kind of reminds me of Little Shop of Horrors. Or yeah, like, like Never Ending Story. The kid yeah. hides out in a bookshop. Last Action Hero. The kid hides out in a cinema, and there's always a kindly older gentleman there to um, to to. Uh, to help them out and give them some some encouragement. So this is a real cliche of eighties, eighties um, and nineties kids films. He is uh, he is being bullied by these these goons. One of them is called Juice. Um, the, these guys are actually one of the better parts of the film, I thought, because they they were actually funny. They're probably the only thing I did laugh at in this film with their their dialogue. Hmm. Get out of here, loser! Yeah. Beat it, creep! <laughs> No one messes with me. You know, this yeah. this kind of like stock goon dialogue actually did make me laugh. And it's all to impress these uh, these sort of 80s babes with their like massive hair and their leopard print leotards and all that. And they're all like, oh, he's so cool. He's so like psychotically violent to little children. You know, um, They're really impressed. Um, so the little kid, the protagonist is called Dodger. And he does hide out in this magical shop run by this old guy called Captain Manzini. And he says, whatever you do, don't touch the garbage pail. Don't touch the bin. Hmm. That's the one rule of the shop. But then uh, his crush, uh, one of the girlfriends of these goons called Tangerine. It's a weird... Tan- so that's Tangerine and Juice. Pretty stupid character. Names. Yeah, Tangerine <laughs> Juice, this couple. Yeah, if you're keeping score. She visits the shop and um, then her boyfriends come in. They have a bit of a scuffle. These stock 80s goons, you know... Um, and then in, all, in the scuffle, the garbage pail gets knocked off and the kids are unleashed into the world. They sort of chase off these goons and then they sort of go in th- into the sewer where these goons are going to stuff Dodger down into the sewer. But then the garbage pail kids go down there and there's like these massive cartoon pipes that we're led to believe are just full of shit. Yeah. And they're comically labelled like one is going to the city zoo, one is going to some sort of TV station... Um, so the garbage pail kids simply uh, turn a, a nozzle and it, it sprays the bad guys with shit. 
And that's the first indication in this film that there's going to be a lot of toilet humour. Yeah. And and endless. Kind of slapstickness. Yeah. Garbage pale kids here. We are introduced to them in person. And I don't know know what you thought of the way these kids look, but it's pretty fucking nightmarish. It's terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) This is a kid's film. Yeah. (laughs) Their heads are enormous. And they're like... It's just... They just look terrible as yeah. well. They're like the costume. Like, Whoever made these yeah. is like, what on earth? Oh, obviously, they had no budget for this. No. Um, and they, yeah, the ones that actually look, are meant to look human, are the more terrifying ones. Yeah. Like, the alligator is just <laughs> like, yeah, that's just daft. Yeah, you've seen that before. The ones yeah. that are human heads are like, oh my God. What? Like the one with the baby head. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, these are basically like little bobble heads. So these are all little people, dwarves sort of mounted with animatronic heads, which sounds really horrible. Um, it, it did say on the IMDb trivia that the um, that the heads weren't really finished by the time filming started, hmm. but the director just said, well, hopefully they'll improve as we shoot. I'm not sure what, what the logic was there. They clearly were not finished, and the mouths didn't really move when no. the, the obviously the voiceover had been recorded much, much later on. Hmm. But your lineup here is... Ali Gator, Messy Tessie, Windy Winston, you can imagine what he does, uh, Nat Nerd, his special power, pissing himself oh, repeatedly. That's stupid. <laughs> Valerie Vomit, self-explanatory again, and uh, the, the terrifying Foul Phil, which is the baby, who can only just go, and a character called Greaser Greg, and inside this animatronic head, we have for a record fourth time on the show, the returning Phil Fondacaro. So, remind me. <laughs> so, Mark, I can, I can, I know you probably know, but for our, our listeners, Phil Fondacaro, you will remember seeing him as the troubled, slightly suicidal dwarf in Troll. Oh, yeah. You will remember him as one of Willow's chums in Willow. You will remember not really seeing him in Invaders from Mars because he was like half of a goblin monster thing. And here he is for a fourth time. Mm-hmm. So he, he breaks Dennis Hopper's record of uh, record of three times on the show. We are now discussing Phil Fondacaro for a fourth time. Mm-hmm. Uh, although this is... He's really only... We've only really seen him act twice. <laughs> Was this intentional? <laughs> no. Um, just a lot of little people have done a lot of shit films. Yeah. And he's not, not, he's not even the only person from Willow in either of these films. So we'll come back yeah. to that. So... There he is, uh, Phil Fondacaro. I mean, I think his best work was as the um, depressing suicidal dwarf in Troll. Of course. Yeah, did a little sort of serious monologue, didn't he? Oh, yeah. That, if you remember. Mm. It was quite out of place in Troll, to yeah, be honest. it was the yeah. surprisingly emotional <laughs> moment. Shakespearean monologue <laughs> yeah. in the middle of Troll <laughs> with uh, Harry Potter and friends. So, that's your lineup, and probably a few others are there that are not as, uh, not as memorable. And they'll, they'll be popping up again and again. Basically, they're all just a punchline. They all have their thing that they do, and they do it, and it's going to get really fucking annoying. Mm. Stick with it. So the instructions that uh, uh, Captain Mancini gives is to, you know, you guys behave yourselves. You're not allowed to leave the shop. You know, the, the idea is that he picked these, these people, these kids up on his travels, looking for weird curiosities across the world, like... It's not really explained, is it? But no. these weird kids that are like deformed. Here begins um, 
really the main plot of the film. This is really a film about a young a young lady who becomes an entrepreneur um, and enters the fashion business. Yeah. That's the driving plot of the film. Not really anything to do with the kids. It's, no. it's very strangely assembled. They help her like make these clothes. <laughs> yeah. But so she she goes. She says uh, she bumps into Dodger and says, "Do you want to come to me to the dance clubs, quote unquote, um, where she's going to sell like clothing to people uh, in the car park, mm. um, fashionable eighties clothing, and you can imagine what that looks like, <laughs> just with awful music blaring out of the club. So this, yeah." It's a very weird direction that we start to go in. The garbage pail kids obviously escape, and they hijack a Pepsi truck. <laughs> Pretty inexplicable, and they just pull up where product sort of, placement. Exactly, that's what <laughs> I've written. Product placement. They they pull up uh, in a sort of a middle of a waste ground, sort of huddle around a, a, a burning brazier and enjoy some delicious cold Pepsis. Mmm. <laughs> taste like of the, the new uh, generation. The Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the it's the choice of the garbage pail kids. <laughs> yeah, inexplicable. I think I think this film is at its worst when you have scenes where it's only the garbage pail kids. Yeah. Because with, with no humans to do normal person dialogue, you've just got all of them doing their punchlines in a row. There's, uh, the plot just falls apart there's just nothing really <laughs> so going on it'll be alligator saying he wants to eat someone's toes windy winston farts nat nerd pisses himself foul phil cries because he's a baby and and we rinse repeat really yeah. on, on that that's that's the jokes and it's it's one a one trick pony really mm. you know they're, they're caricatures which is sort of the idea which works in a trading card but in a, in a live action film it's pretty annoying but uh, they make Dodger a jacket, and this gives <laughs> this gives them him and Tangerine uh, the bright idea to start a Garbage Pail Kids sweatshop. Hmm. Now, I initially wrote Garbage Pail Kids sweatshop because <laughs> I thought that sounded funny, and then about thirty seconds later, <laughs> they enter a building with a, a big sign that says "Non-Union Sweatshop." <laughs> so clearly, the the makers of this film thought that was funny as well. So as well as this weird love story between a woman trying to make it in the fashion world, we've got this strange political commentary about sweatshops. Yeah. And are they? I don't. Are they good? Are they bad? What? <laughs> what, are we, what do we think here? I, I'm not sure. Because they seem to be enjoying themselves. They complain a little bit, but yeah. they're helping their friend to get to get into the fashion world. You know. <laughs> I would stay away from that kind of political. Yeah. Satire. What's the message here? I'm not sure. <laughs> And we get the first of, uh, well, luckily only a few musical numbers, and they're horrific. (laughs) And it's stuff like, we can't do anything by working with each other. (laughs) Like the Seven Dwarfs. Makes you cringe. It's really bad, uh, really badly written music, really poorly performed (laughs) by uh, the voice actors. Hmm. I just thought, Oh God! Hope we don't get too many of these. Yeah. Um, keep these to a minimum. <laughs> and it was at this point, with the musical number and talking about let's work together, guys, teamwork, that I started to think, isn't this what the Cabbage Patch Kids would do? Mm. You're meant to be the Garbage Pail Kids, yeah. aren't you? Meant to be like the opposite and like the gross, like subverted version. But you're you're saying quite good and wholesome things, yeah. aren't, aren't you? Defeating the entire purpose of your brand you're not you know? making the mockery that you were no intending to <laughs> you're, you're trying to be more virtuous than the cabbage patch kids and yeah. teach kids a good lessons like you realize that's that's 
the entire opposite of what what your what your point should be. You know? Yeah. So I think that's a, a kind of a big problem with this. I just wrote Nat keeps pissing because that <laughs> happens about every five minutes, six minutes. Yeah. He just goes, Aww. I don't know why I'm laughing because it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's really boring. It's really not. It's yeah. not funny the first time. No. And every time he does it, the rest of the kids go, <laughs> I don't think even kids are laughing at this, but maybe. Um, they escape again and they all go on a trip to the movies. Um, this is kind of funny. They wear disguises, so like trench coats and berets and sunglasses. Yeah. And they all get on little tiny quad bikes and go out just ripping around the town. Yeah. Some of them go to the theatre to watch a movie, but some of them go to uh, what's called the world's toughest bar. Oh, yeah. Or the toughest bar in the world. Really tough biker bar. Alligator goes in and starts sucking toes because that's his very weird yeah. um, characteristic. But then it turns out the bikers actually get on quite well yeah. with the garbage pail kids, and they really like them. And uh, they start having a drink and stuff like. What that? How does that fit in with? Uh, we come on, kids, let's work together. Now you're hanging out and like getting pissed up in a yeah. bar. Um, Toughest bar in the world. Well, it's not really. You've just befriended <laughs> these weird children. <laughs> uh, it's the bar where you can find bikers who uh, quite enjoy having their toes sucked. Yeah. Uh, we get like a sort of a, what I would call a mischief montage. Um, just the garbage pail kids getting up to all kinds of uh, naughtiness around town. Redirecting the sewage, mostly. There's a mm. montage of a guy sitting on the toilet and then, of course, the big flow comes from underneath and they've yeah. just turned the big wheel that goes... Change the shit direction from City Zoo to the <laughs> library, and then this guy's like, <laughs> um, not funny at all. Uh, it's around this time that they start introducing this concept of the state home for the ugly. I'm not yeah. quite sure how this came up. I think I must have tuned out for maybe half a minute, <laughs> and all of a sudden uh, they're talking about the state home for the ugly. So this is some sort of like boogeyman sort of place. They're like, oh, you don't want to go there. That's that's where they send garbage pail kids because they're so ugly and deformed. And it's it's introduced as this sort of, I guess, this sort of consequence where, where you might end up if you're not if you're not behaving yourself. There's also a montage of Tangerine's fashion business taking off. So mm. the more clothes that the the garbage pail kids make, the the more she sells and and and. She's getting on really well with Dodger. He thinks things are going really well, but what he doesn't know is that she's kind of using him. But then she's being used by Juice, and it's quite a complicated web of manipulation here. Um, no one seems to be genuine, apart from this Dodger kid, who nice. for some reason thinks he's going to get lucky here. Believe it or not, the actor, uh, the actors that played Dodger and Tangerine were dating in real life when this film was oh, really? being made. Uh, How then, old are they? Well, <laughs> he his character is meant to be 15, yeah. and she's meant to be older, but apparently they were both around 15, 16, maybe. So. In real life? Yeah. Wow. But awkwardly, they broke also broke up during the filming of the, of, of the film. Oh. So, <laughs> so if there's any scenes where they uh, perhaps aren't, aren't gelling quite as well, that'll be it. Very, very odd um, backstory. Because that would be the explanation for the awkwardness, yeah, not the fact the, that it's a terrible the, the, film. The lack of chemistry, <laughs> the fact that they're meant to be two children. <laughs> so really, um, it's all about the garbage pail kids being exploited to make clothes for this fashion show. Again, a weird kind of misguided uh, political satire, like, oh, how dare they use tiny children to make clothes? That's yeah. so wrong. Who would do that? You know, pretty lofty ideas for um, this kind of film. 
the plot really drops off at this point. There's a sort of an endless loop of just farting, pissing, um, Captain Mancini trying to work out how to play his magical piano to get the kids back in the garbage pail. Mm. Um, really, I think I zoned out during this part. It, it, be- bit, it becomes so. kind of like like deprogramming or brainwashing kind of uh, footage, you know, just poke your eyes open with matchsticks and just watch this on a repeated loop, you know, yeah. it kind of becomes a bit Dadaist, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, but Juice kidnaps the kids and actually sells them to the state home for the ugly. And inside the state home, it's really just a very small warehouse with like some boxes. And inside the boxes will be people with signs that say like, too old, too bald, mm. To there's one with Santa in it that's like too fat or something <laughs> like that. It's just I, I don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, around this time, Dodger realizes that you know Tangerine has been using him and it's Juice has been using her. And it's it's all a ruse. So he he gets all of the uh, toughest bikers in the world to come help bust the kids out from the state home for the ugly, <laughs> and lets all the other freaks out at the same time. Uh, they all crash the fashion show. Uh, Windy Winston gives one last enormous fart from the catwalk. Um, Valerie vomit finally does like a decent vomit, and like it's all like <laughs> it's all like iridescent and like glowing blue. That was quite cool actually. Um, and yeah, they ruin the fashion show. They agree to go back in the garbage pail, but when they have the eyes closed, the garbage pail kids escape into the night, never to be seen again. Hmm. So that is Garbage Pail Kids, one of the most uh, famous bad films ever. Mark, what were your overall thoughts of this one? Oh, it was painful. Um, <laughs> it's just bad, like really bad, because there's just very little plot. Mm-hmm. Like there's large sections of the, the film where it's just the Garbage Pail Kids just dicking around and it's not entertaining, it's not funny. But I think they not... thought it would be. That's yeah. The, they think, well, if kids like looking at these characters on trading cards yeah what if these characters came to life and actually farted and pissed wouldn't yeah. that be brilliant <laughs> yeah just endless farting and pissing which sounds funny when i'm describing it but it, it's not worth it <laughs> it's, it's actually quite nightmarish to watch yeah yeah and alligator just seems to take the kind of center stage he seems to be one of the main yeah. garbage pail kids which like, is weird because he's not human looking at all no. he's just a little crocodile yeah yeah and alligator is not far enough from alligator. <laughs> it's not a good. It's enough. not a great pun, is it? No. no. I mean, um, there are plenty more of the characters they could have chosen for this film, but that was the best one, I think they thought. I was struggling not to zone out throughout this film, like yeah. certain parts, because it was just like boring. There were like parts of it where, like you said, the best part was where they were in the the, the bar, and that was the. <laughs> I agree. Like that was kind of fun there were some funny lines in that bit yeah um but it doesn't really make up for the rest of it because it was just kind of shocking <laughs> i should mention for anyone who wants to watch this we we watched a delightful um copy of this on youtube which... probably didn't help <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think it did help um it's some sort of long lost vhs rip that's sat, been sat in someone's attic for 30 years uh, like you get tracking issues, you get like waviness. It the was audio really bad. Some out. points it was like one frame per second or something. <laughs> <like>. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I watched this on quite a big TV and it was horrendous. Um, but I think I I don't think it would have been any worse if it had been a crystal clear and no. any better. I did. I wouldn't have gained anything from it no, watching it like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I thought actually watching it on an awful VHS type rip 
was actually hmm. beneficial what, to the experience. What were your thoughts? Well, it's the second time I've seen this. Uh, first time was a few years ago when obviously I was you know, curious because it was often, often referred to as the, the worst film ever made and obviously a lot of films get that tag. I'm, hmm. I'm not sure if it should be up there with... Troll 2. With the big boys, yeah. 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 But, but even Troll 2 is, is fun. I like it, yeah. you know. So I think this is one of those bad films that it's not... It's not bad enough to be like insufferable. It's also not bad enough to be <laughs> enjoyable. It's mm. it's a little bit boring, a little bit repetitive. Yeah, I mean certainly the uh, the appearance of the garbage pail kids is something that will keep you up at night. That's burnt um, into my memory now. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the utter failure of this film is is the uh, the effects and just the the real lack of any dimension to these characters just the the constant toilet humor they are aiming this at kids so maybe kids watch this and were like that's hilarious this kid keeps pissing himself how yeah. how, how hilarious maybe i sort of think the kids watching this would maybe be more like please turn this off mum this, yeah. this is this is terrifying i, even, I think even kid <laughs> little kids would know that this was dreadful and terrifying yeah yeah I don't know who this is for, really. Um, they clearly were trying to aim it at kids, but then the, the, the humour and the uh, the appearance of just kind of... It, it was a mess. It was a real mess of a film. Yeah. I think it deserves its spot, you know, perhaps in the top ten worst films ever made, you know, for, for good or bad. It's very poorly made. There's really no plot to it. It scared the shit out of you. But yeah, that's Garbage Pale Kids from 1987. And so we move on. Now this, I, I feel this is going to be a pretty lopsided um, <laughs> episode because this next film, um, you know, it's one of these ones that I don't think is a bad film at all, but some people do. Um, I would I would kind of liken it to my, my love of Street Fighter, the movie, which we did not so long ago, um, in that I, I loved it as a kid. I, I still love it now, and no, at no point... Did I realise it was a bad movie? Yeah. You know, or if I did, it only enhanced the experience. You know, talking of course about Masters of the Universe, also from 1987. This is another movie by Canon. Uh, we've come across a few of these, um, most notably on our Toby Hooper episode where we reviewed three Canon films: mm. uh, Life Force Invaders from Mars and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, they're, they're, that's quite a mixed bag. Um, yeah. <laughs> this one is um, bigger budget than those, certainly. And this is a kids' film, which a lot of canon films were definitely not. They were quite horror based or, yeah. or schlocky based. They're still schlocky. But um, shout out to uh, Bristol Bad Film Club. Actually, uh, I the first bad film club screening I ever went to was Masters of the Universe in Victoria, Victoria Park. Park. I was meant to go to that and uh, I didn't make it. <laughs> and we didn't even know each other then. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. We probably would have. Yeah. Yeah. We could have, we could have bonded over Masters of the Universe <laughs> uh, six years ago. But yeah, that was in Victoria Park in Bristol. Um, I'd already, I would already loved it at the time but it was great to see it on a, on a big screen and with lots of other people who thought it was awesome. Of course, Masters of the Universe started off as a series of toys, action figures, mm. in the early 80s. They essentially created a cartoon for the characters that were the action figures. Really, it's just an advert to sell more toys. Mm. The cartoon became wildly successful, super yeah. successful, sold even more toys. They, they made even more money from the cartoon, so it was inevitable that we were going to get to a live-action uh, adaptation uh, of the film that, that came along here. 
I think this is more based off the action figures than it is off the cartoon. Um, just the, the way the characters are portrayed, um, but they're still trying to keep it quite kid-friendly. Apparently Mattel um, specified that He-Man should not kill anyone in the films. He would not do that in the cartoon. So they created the enemies that were meant to be robots. I don't know if you got that. The guys uh, in black were meant to be robots, okay. which it's fine to kill. Right. Not humans. All right. So make sure you note that. This one uh, stars Dolph Lundgren. This is his third film ever. Can you name his first two? Uh, Rocky Four. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing I've seen him in before he, he, this. He's coming hot off Rocky Four. His yeah. role as Ivan Drago. Uh, what else is uh, I'm trying to think of? Is it another famous film? Fairly. It's a big franchise. I'm not sure. He played a Bond henchman in A View to a Kill. Ah. Roger Moore's last outing okay. as Bond. So that's a pretty big film. He, yeah, he was uh, sort of third in command under Grace Jones and Christopher Walken. Yeah. So it's pretty. It's a pretty great Bond film, actually, underrated. Um, but this is his third film. He's a bona fide like, action star by this point, which is quite impressive after two films. Yeah. He obviously made a big impression in, in Rocky IV, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as Ivan Drago, you know, who could forget that. Also in this film is a brilliant actor called Frank Langella, uh, who plays Skeletor in this. He uh, He's done a bunch of films. He's like quite a Shakespearean thespian. You know, these films will often have one actor who's a proper actor. Yeah. This is why I liken this film to Street Fighter a lot, because he's the equivalent of, of Raul Julia as M. Bison in this. I didn't realise he was going to be in it, and uh, there's some other actors in it that I didn't yeah. realise about as well that we'll probably get on to. But Frank Langella did this film because his kids loved He-Man, yeah. and Raul Julia did Street Fighter because his kids loved Street Fighter. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of similarities between those two actors and these two roles. Like proper thespians coming in to play like this ridiculous cartoonish character but actually doing it so well but yeah. you kind of forget that how it's a man with a skull for a head mm. and there's there's none of the <laughs> kind of from the cartoon that's all gone and it's quite like he quotes Richard III and stuff like that yeah. you know um, he's awesome and as you mentioned yeah uh, in her first on screen uh, feature film Courtney Cox very young very very young um, hot off of the uh, Bruce Springsteen video uh, Dancing in the Dark, maybe, um, in which it's a sort of a fake live video where she gets randomly, quote unquote, picked to come out of the audience and dance on stage with Bruce Springsteen. So that's what she was famous for at this point uh, in '87. So she must have been late teens, early twenties, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine around 20, 20-ish. Yeah, and then also in this film we have. Uh, someone else who's returning to the show. Uh, I mentioned it before. Anytime you see a dwarf or a little person in a film, you know damn well we've probably seen them in something yeah. else. And uh, the guy that plays Gwildor, <laughs> the little sort of dwarf in this, is a guy called Billy Barty, uh, who you may remember from Willow also, as kind of the wizard guy with the long grey beard and would do these... He always squints and he would do these weird riddles in Willow and no one would know what he was talking about. So. Mm. Two people from Willow in two films that were, yeah. you know, and that Willow was made after this. So they were, you know, if 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 you were a dwarf in the eighties, you were either in Willow or Return of the Jedi or both. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. It was a good time for yeah. little actors. You know? You'd have a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Now the funny, the, I found this quite remarkable. Billy Barty, the guy that plays this this uh, Gwildor character, his filmography, not his life. His filmography spans 1927 to the year 2000. 
<laughs> that, that's just his filmography. Oh my god! Not his, not how long he was alive, but how long he was doing films. That's unbelievable. Now, unless he was a baby in his first film, I I can't quite figure that out. <laughs> um, but that's according to IMDb. So fair play to Billy Barty. I think this was maybe his like two hundredth film or something yeah. like that. Um, a, a real veteran at this point. Yeah. So that's some good trivia. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. <laughs> Billy, Billy Barty, fair fair play. So we open up with a very sort of brief glimpse of Castle Greyskull and a bit of a sort of spiel about, you know, how the idea in Masters of the Universe is everyone's trying to control Castle Greyskull and if you have the power of Greyskull, you have the power to control the universe. I'm sure you know all this already. Yeah. Anyone who's seen the cartoons know mm-hmm. this sort of basic idea. So it does actually start off in Eternia, whereas where the cartoon is set all the time. They were planning to set all of the film in Eternia, but I had to kind of scrap that due to obvious budget uh, constraints that would cause you know mm. um, and although that being said the sets that are in Eternia I think are pretty awesome the internal uh, of uh, the interior of Skeletor's castle and stuff like that they, they look pretty awesome mm. straight away you get Skeletor coming straight out of the bat with some that's like awesome dialogue by Frank Langella uh, his uh, second in command Evil Lynn also from the cartoons played by Meg Foster it's all, all set in Eternia. They've taken a, a sorceress hostage and they're going to use her to open up, I don't know, the power of the universe or something like that. And then straight away it kicks off with, with He-Man, Dolph Lundgren himself, lumbering in and uh, attacking all of these weird uh, black-clad uh, troopers. Now, I don't really remember this as a kid, but this is my first indication. This film is an awful lot like Star Wars. Yeah, like throughout, but especially the music and the way that the sort of goons are dressed, like stormtroopers. Storm yeah, yeah. <laughs> the music is very close to Star Wars. Like, I'm surprised they didn't get sued by by Lucasfilm, <laughs> like uh, like the garbage pail kids got sued. Um, it's very 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 close to uh, what was obviously massive in in the 80s Star Wars. It's around this time we are introduced to Gwildor, Billy Barty himself. So this is a very a very short character with sort of pointy ears he's quite wise mm. he sort of reminds me of Yoda uh, perhaps yeah. lives in a little hut yeah. we could we could do a big list of these um, it's definitely a, yeah, it's a character there. for every character in Star <laughs> yeah, Wars there is yeah <laughs> um, he invites them into their home and uh, he shows them what's known as the cosmic key which is a really big uh, feature of this film this little uh, it's sort of like a gun like a sort of bit of lighting I'm not sure how they they cobbled this together like a like a, a really proggy saxophone. It's it's it, like an instrument someone's created, yeah. and it plays a little tune, and that's going to be quite key, no pun intended, to mm-hmm. to the film. So some something about this key allows Skeletor to invade uh, Eternia. Now we get to uh, probably my absolute favourite part of this film, other than Skeletor, the bounty hunters the mercenaries should oh, I say yeah. um, that are brought in now this this is exactly a carbon copy of a scene in the Empire Strikes Back where Darth Vader is recruiting uh, I think four bounty hunters to to find Han Solo and they all look very similar to the, the ones in this film they call them mercenaries they don't yeah. say bounty hunters but my god they're they're coming very close to Star Wars in the first ten minutes you know assemble the mercenaries yeah you just get a shot of them just standing in line and yeah yeah I do really like these these um these mercenaries there's uh what is there one called uh blade who's got like an eye patch and loads of like 
blades coming out of him, as you'd expect. Mm. There's like a lizard guy, which is pretty cool, like an Argonian from 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 Skyrim. Um, yeah. yeah, he's pretty cool. Um, Beast, Beast Man, Man. <laughs> memorable character from from the com- uh, the cartoons and the comics as yeah. well. He's awesome. He's just exactly what what he sounds like, you know, mm. Beast Man. And uh, Karg is the sort of lead mercenary, but I I do find him to be the most ridiculous because his hair is like. Motley Crue times ten. <laughs> he's got this bouffant long hair that's about three foot off the top of his skull, maybe, yeah. and he looks ridiculous, <laughs> like Bonnie Tyler without a makeup on. You know, yeah. it's brilliant. <clears throat> but he does all the dialogue, I guess, because he speaks English. So they're awesome. They're going to come up a lot in the film as well. Uh, he manages a brief skirmish with Skeletor, and during this, they somehow um, they teleport to Earth using the cosmic key. Um, but they lose the key along the way. So there's the sort of basic plot of the film. We need to find the cosmic key because if Skeletor gets the cosmic key, he'll unlock the universe and he'll rule the universe and typical kind of stuff, but Hmm. pretty simple to follow for kids and and, and adults alike. It's quite a good gag initially where they sort of scan something coming on their radar towards them and, oh my God, it's an alien life form and it's just a cow, (laughs) which is is quite a good gag. I mean, you you sort of know what you're in for here. There's going to be a lot of fish out of water humour. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of um, the the first Thor film where I think they did that to death. It's just constantly Thor saying stuff like, what is this container that you drink out of? What is this metal uh, thing that rolls in the, in the streets? And just like looking at every single piece of yeah. modern technology and doing like a stupid gag. Hmm. Luckily, they don't go quite quite as in on it in this movie, but there is a little bit of that. And the girl, um, they're eating ribs, I think. And yeah. Like this came from an animal. Like she yeah. Didn't, she didn't understand what it was. A little a little satire there. Yeah. How barbaric! How can you eat something that was once an animal? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, what are these white things that the, the meat is on? You know how ingenious that you would you would use this to hold meat. You know, um, that's bone. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a funny little gag. I like it. Yeah, we are introduced to Courtney Cox here as a sort of hapless teenager called Julie, and uh, her boyfriend. They end up finding the cosmic key just sort of in the bush outside the fast food restaurant. Uh, her boyfriend says, oh, I think it's a Japanese synth. <laughs> yeah. I've seen this in a magazine. So that's your first indication that he's a real cool 80s musician mm-hmm. kind of guy. I'm um, surprised he didn't have like a keyboard necktie. Mm-hmm. That, that's how cool he was, you know. <laughs> leather leather jacket rolled up yeah. to the elbows, you know. <laughs> they take it back to this sort of hall that they're staying in. He says, let me amp it up, you know, plug it into the amplifier and I'll give you a blast of it. So he plays a little tune on it. And of course, that's a bit silly because that's how the mercenaries are able to locate them. They sort of harass Courtney Cox, and then He-Man sort of swoops in to rescue her. And there's a sort of a split here now in, in the plot where He-Man, uh, He-Man, Julie, Gwildor, and the rest are in one group, and then her boyfriend has gone to the music shop, and he meets this detective, and that's kind of another group of good guys that, that are making it more difficult for uh, uh, for the mercenaries to track down the cosmic key. Hmm. Yeah, there's this, uh, this detective character, I think, is quite a... Quite a strong point of the film as well. He's played by a guy called uh, T- Tolkien. Um, he he was the instructor in Top Gun, the sort of hard ass instructor. He was in Back to the Future. I sort of feel like I've seen him in more than that. Yeah, but I think he's just quite memorable. I, yeah. it, it seems like we've reviewed films that he's like a few films that he's. You'd think in. so, but I've looked through his filmography and I I don't see much that I recognise. Right. It's weird. 
he's just this great kind of like completely bald, smooth, <laughs> like hard ass cop, and he's just got the most awesome like New York wise guy accent. I think he's he's pretty great. Uh, I want to see more of his films now uh, after seeing him in this because he's yeah. he's quite funny. But the mercenaries are not able to get hold of the cosmic key, so they have to return to Skeletor. And um, I, was, I, was, I was quite gutted at this point because my favourite mercenary is the lizard guy. And he's the first one to be vaporised. Actually, the only one to be vaporised. Which is pretty annoying. Like, I thought he was really cool. Like, he's a lizard, like a snake. He's got a helmet on. He's got a blaster. Yeah. Like, he's way cooler than the guy with the massive hair metal quiff. But he's the, he, he gets vaporised by Skeletor. So, I'm, yeah, I'm still not okay with this. But then Evil Lynn, you know, Skeletor's hench woman, uh, takes his place. And they go sort of regroup to try and find this again. They locate the cosmic key, which is currently at Julie's boyfriend's house, and there's just a massive racket outside. They kick in the door, and the beast man just bursts in. Ah, <laughs> really, like scary. And her yeah. boyfriend just throws a dishcloth at him. <laughs> I was like, what? so they they sort of capture him. They put this like this weird like electronic collar around him, hmm. and he has to like tell the truth if they ask him a question when he's wearing the collar, the collar of truth, if you like. It's quite an interesting bit of sort of technology i quite like the masters of the universe especially in this film because it's fantasy but it's also a bit of sci-fi because even though they're yeah. like barbarians and warriors and and stuff they also have like technology like alien yeah uh, computers and technology they're not just like idiots with swords like they've got their own cool technology that they can use on us like the cosmic key yeah. it's way more advanced than what we have like that kind of futuristic element yeah futuristic fantasy i think is much more interesting yeah than than you know your conan the barbarian type stuff well again maybe that's them just them really trying to rip off star wars you know (laughs) that that resulted in that and to be honest we've we've reviewed worse films that have ripped off star wars you might remember turkish star wars um, that we reviewed so this is not the only that's going back away now (laughs) (laughs) that's going back 10, 20 episodes Um, this is far from the only film to uh, to rip off Star Wars and actually one of the better results in the end Mm. Um, but um, all the good guys kind of meet up again in one in one group Uh, Gwildor keeps like dressing up in like funky 80s fashion which is like a running gag He'll sort of come come out uh, from behind someone. He's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and like some cool like zebra print sunglasses. And then whoever's there will go, "What the hell is that?" Yeah. You know, it's like a running joke. Um, so they end up getting the key off of the cop, trying to evade Evil Lynn's invading forces. But this leads to uh, quite a good action set piece, I think. All the good guys are inside the music shop, and all of the bad guys are outside trying to get into the music shop. So yeah. all the good guys are got to like shoot from behind like stacks of marshals and old keyboards and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And all of the the bad guys are just like lined up in the street, like blasting them with lasers and stuff. I mm-hmm. thought that that was quite cool. Bit of a bit of a standoff. Probably the only thing I don't really like about this film is how easy it is to get the key off of Julie's character, because. All Evil Lynn does is pretend to be her dead mother and goes, oh, Julie, Julie. And then so she goes out into the alleyway. Oh, I thought you were dead. Yeah. No, no, I'm not dead. No. Oh, thank God for that. I've, I could have sworn you were, like, I went to your grave. <laughs> I went to your funeral. Like, you're definitely dead, you know. It was a plane crash. Um, but I thought it's just 
really lazy. Like this made this this Julie character seem like a real idiot. Yeah. That she would fall for something. Yeah. And as soon as she gives her the key, she transforms back and, and runs off. And then she's so shocked. She's like, no! <laughs> yeah. I can't say. I don't think Courtney Cox would be very proud of this acting. But yeah, she sort of clutches her, clutches her temples. <laughs> um, I can't do it justice, but look it up. Not, not, not the finest performance here from, from Courtney Cox. She would get better. Mother Disguise uh, gets the... Cosmic key, and this allows Skeletor to actually appear in in Earth on the planet Earth, uh, accompanied by <laughs> pretty awesome, I think, these hoverboard soldiers. So these are people uh, that are sort of surfing on these little like manhole covers, hmm. just like zipping through the streets. And that in itself is quite cool. But what's even cooler is that He-Man is able to uh, commandeer one of these, and so you get this like dogfight where, I mean, from the wide angles, it looks awful. <laughs> it's like this superimposed, like, tiny He-Man, like, flitting about like a little Subutio figure. Yeah. And then they'll go in for a really close shot, and, and he's, like, shooting his lasers. Then it'll back out again, and this it was not very seamless. No. You know, the, the continuity between these shots was, was dreadful. I think this, I think they were going for the sort of speeder fight in Return of the Jedi, zipping through the forest, like that kind of thing, but wasn't quite as um, accomplished as, as those <laughs> those effects were. Skeletor kind of tricks He-Man. He's like, you know, I'll, I'll kill the humans if you don't surrender yourself, So because He-Man's such a good guy, he's such a heroic guy, he gives himself up uh, under the agreement that uh, the humans will be left alone. <laughs> Somewhere during this sort of scuffle with um, Skeletor, uh, Courtney Cox gets shot in the leg by a sort of pink laser. Um, and then like 10 minutes later, they, they pull up her, her, her dress and it's like oozing with green stuff. And yeah. it like, looks like it's about to be chopped off or something. Like, yeah, that's definitely poison. What a poisonous laser beam. Like, what, what is this? It's like some like luminous gangrene. Yeah. Thing, like... <laughs> I don't think this Julie character really gets a, a, a very fair fair shake in this film. Now, it's around this time that uh, Skeletor returns to Eternia. He approaches his throne room and he is passed his staff by a curious-looking character wearing a pig mask. Mm -hmm. uh, now, this is someone who uh, won yeah. won a contest. Uh, Mattel won a contest from associated with the toys that um, entered this competition and will put you in the Masters of the Universe film. So this was like a little kid that had entered, a, I assume a little kid, that had entered this competition and then they put him in the film and they even gave him like his own character. He's credited as Pig Boy uh, in the credits and you get actually you get to see a mask and he hands him the staff. It's like a proper role in the film. So this was, yeah, just a kid that had won a competition. But it lasts about three seconds. <laughs> oh, he's not an actor. You know, what yeah. are you going to do? You want to you stick him in a dwarf outfit? You know? That's pretty cool if yeah. you like won a competition and you get to be in a film. Yeah. It's a it's a cameo. Yeah. I mean, there's no point in showing his face. He's nobody, you know. Yeah. Make him a weird pig boy. Like, <laughs> if you didn't know that, you'd wonder who who is that? Why does he look like a pig? Everyone else has got like a black helmet, you know. <laughs> the sorceress that had been held um, captive is now like really old and crumbly. Um, she's lost all of her magic power. Um, Blade, the bounty hunter, gets his laser whip out. This oh is yeah. Quite funny effects. Um, I don't know if it's meant to be some somewhat biblical, but um, He-Man is sort of chained up and, and lashed uh, till he's raw by a, a, a red laser whip. Yeah. The effects are like you're pretty drawn on in felt tip. It's like a flexible lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> I think it looks a bit shit, but 
um, Frank Langella kind of sells it as Skeletor because his facial reactions when he's watching it at first he's like smiling and he's like haha you know and then, but then after a while he starts to wince a little bit <laughs> which I think is quite cool like he's the villain but after a while he's like ooh this is wrong yeah it's a bit much <laughs> yeah stop stop now you know I, I think that's that's great um, acting on his part especially as he's under quite a lot of prosthetic makeup I mean um, I don't know what you thought of this, the skeletal makeup I mean it's a bit it's a bit cheap looking but I mean it's either that or have literally a, just a skull that goes mah, 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 and, and dub the voice over later so I thought it was pretty cool for a, like a cool. campy yeah. kind of movie so. I mean he's got the hood and I think what's quite cool about it is obviously it's quite a it's a like a, a alabaster white face so it always absorbs the lighting yeah. that's around so if something red is happening it'll be a slight pink tinge across his face I thought that's quite cool yeah I mean the cost. I think the costume design in this film is is excellent. Mm, yeah. Um, if if the if the visual effects are a bit shoddy, which they are, I think all the budget went on the sets and the costumes. Yes. Like I mentioned, I, I noticed for the first time ever, Skeletor had tiny little skulls on the tips of his fingers. If you look at like the the breastplates that the mercenaries are wearing, some of them have like little patterns and snakes and stuff like that. I think it's it's really good work with the the costume department. But uh, it's around this time that um, Skeletor sort of he takes the um, He-Man sword and he puts it in a uh, sort of holster next to his throne, and this I think unleashes the power of the universe somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, it all the big a big portal opens and all this like gold energy starts flowing into his face, and then we get like one of my favourite things ever in any film. Super Skeletor. <laughs> All of a sudden, he goes from being this sort of like old man in a, in a in a cloak to this like guy wearing a suit of gold armor, and he's got like this headdress, like an Indian sort of Hindu like spiky gold headdress, and he can shoot like gold energy from his eyes. Yeah. And he's got this massive like gold staff. I think it's fucking awesome costume mm. design. Like they didn't even have to do this; they could have kept the same. Costume yeah. all the way, and I wouldn't have minded, but this super super gold skeletal I think is fucking awesome. Around this time, the Earthlings teleport in somehow. I think they figure out how to play the cosmic key melody, and just the whole the whole street teleports in, which I think is quite cool. Like a car, a brick wall, just like a circular. It's like Terminator, you know, like a circular radius of the street just goes. Yeah. Including uh, Lubick, the the detective. He, he's got some. Some good one-liners around here as well. Um, so it all kicks off, basically. Everyone starts fighting everyone else. There's a moment where um, He-Man swings on a a long bit of drapery, which I think is, again, a bit of a Star Wars thing. Uh, or like a swashbuckling thing, which I think is quite cool. It's all building up to this moment, of course. He's able to reclaim the sword from the holster next to the throne. <laughs> oh, you have the power! Awesome. This is the most iconic oh, part of the whole film. I get like super excited still now when he does that. <laughs> yes, come on, <laughs> fuck him up. Um, I think quite a comparatively um, quick sword fight with Skeletor, um, but He-Man kind of finishes him off and kicks him into this like pit, and he falls, and he falls. We cut away, cut back. He's still falling. <laughs> no. <laughs> Comical. It's a very classic kind of yeah. Hollywood fall. Yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of like Phantom Menace when Darth Maul is falling for ages. Yeah, like again a Star Wars, Star Wars kind of thing. 
And that's it, really. Uh, Skeletor defeated. Um, Lubick decides he's going to stay because he's got a wife all of a sudden. That was very quick. And then they do the whole... I'm not sure if I really like this, but Julie gets transported back. She wakes up and all of a sudden her parents are alive and it's the day that they're going to catch the plane that would kill them. No, don't go. Don't, don't, get, don't, on don't get on that plane. I'll take the keys. And she'll take the keys as she runs out. I don't know if this was necessary. Really. <laughs> I guess it's a happy air ending, but, you know. And there you go, but they still have a little, um, like a little blue rock, which is the power of Eternia in, in a sort of a gemstone form. Mm. So yeah, that is Masters of the Universe from 1987. What were your overall thoughts of this one, Mark? Yeah, it was quite entertaining. Like you said, the it's very the costumes mm. very much stuck out. Yeah, uh, and the the set piece, the like the set designs and stuff. It was a very visually quite visually pleasing yeah. uh, film. Uh, it was very much of its time in that in that way as well. It was very. Visually, it looked very eighties fantasy kind of yeah. um, thing, but yeah, the uh, some of the costumes were like that is really cool looking. <laughs> it's like I think they had a massive budget. I mean, actually, I read on the trivia that uh, Canon Films they um, originally they uh, had planned to make a Spider Man film, and they had the rights and they had the money set aside. That they decided that they would split the money in half and make this film and Superman Four, yeah. and then off the back of the money those films make make an even bigger Spider-Man film. Yeah. But neither of those films made the <laughs> money back and I think it wasn't much longer for canon films after this, no. unfortunately. So um it had a fair old budget. I mean I don't know how what the Spider-Man film would have would have looked like in nineteen eighty seven. But um yeah. the budget for this film is actually I think probably quite big for their films. Yeah. Maybe this was one of the biggest budgets they ever had. I mean, yeah. I mean they got some big names <clears throat> in it. I well Kinda. Some of them weren't big yet. They, they seem big the, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do. So, Adolf Lundgren was already established. Pretty much, yeah. Well, or he was, he'd been in a couple of sort of it's like his first successful lead. films. Yeah. And people that were to go on to be big actors. And some of the acting was really good. Some of it, but some mm. of it was like pretty decent. It was just quite like entertaining in a very sort of campy way. Yeah. Um, it did fun. what I expected it to do, really. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, it was good fun. Well, yeah. I think it's fucking awesome. You mm-hmm. you probably uh, know. Yeah. Um, one of my one of my favorite films from the eighties. I, <clears throat> I didn't think it was that bad. No, like, I mean it, it was it was a failure, co- yeah. com- commercially and critically a failure. So I think that's why it gets called a bad movie. But like I've never considered this a bad movie, and I know a lot of people that would would also agree it's it's actually an awesome movie just really cheesy really schlocky but yeah it's it's schlocky it's I, definitely yeah. uh, it definitely qualifies for this podcast oh, of course yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean what i really like as well about the film is that it really like rattles along there's no time to get bored it's like yeah. even the first 10 minutes were like bam 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 we're in eternia skeletal there's these characters there's these mercenaries there's this little dwarf there's this key oh shit we're in planet earth now this is like the first quarter of an hour maybe like, yeah. like oh my god like this is <laughs> I like you know you know when we watch these films and we can't keep up with the notes you know so what what just happened you know yeah. but like I say I I can consider this one of the best films we've ever reviewed mm. uh, on this show along with Street Fighter the movie lots of similarities to Street Fighter the movie in its sort of cartoonishness and its campiness and you know Raul Julia and Frank Langella doing very similar things uh, very similar performances and and really taking out what what could have been a 
super cheesy villain and actually making it kind of like Shakespearean, um, you know. And even the post-credit sequence, like almost identical to Street Fighter. Yeah. There's a post-credit sequence where where um, Skeletor pops out of the looks like pops out of the cherry aid and says, I'll be back. <laughs> because they they thought this was going to be huge. They thought this film would be huge. There'd be sequels. There'd and be, it flopped. And it flopped massively. And they, never made, they could never make a sequel. People have pondered a remake over the years. Chris Hemsworth attached, of course. Who else? It became bigger later on, I guess. I but... think it's become very cult. And even the He-Man... The E-Man cartoon is even more so. You know. Yeah, that's the um, main one. So it's all on Netflix, I think, now, and they've even made new new versions of it, and that's quite a surprisingly long-running franchise for something that was just like a little toy in the 80s. Not not many 80s toys can can boast this kind of legacy, you know, no. in, in, in film, in TV, in, in how iconic they are, and, and He-Man is, is that iconic, you know. So, yeah, absolutely one of my... Favorite films. This is one from the old, uh, the old classic VHS collection. Once again, seems to be every episode, but uh, it was right there next to Street Fighter the movie in my VHS collection. And yeah. Probably would have been one of the ones I'd pick out on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we'll have another go on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, Masters of the Universe. It's not a bad film at all. It's it's brilliant. There you go, <laughs> Masters of the Universe. <laughs> so I mean, like I say, pretty lopsided here, but um, if if. If you had to teleport one of these films back in time to the day before it was greenlit and stop someone from putting the production in motion, which film would you stop <laughs> from being created? Uh, which film would you uh, would you allow to be made? <laughs> I'll just say garbage pal kids can go in the bin. Let's <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, or, or in the col- in, in the modern parlance, get in the fucking sea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it course. was just like it's horrendous. It was just bad. Like it was just there was no the the plot was so thin that it was just so boring. There were long drawn out periods of unfunny quote unquote humor. Yeah. The the costumes not only freaked me out, but they just they just <laughs> didn't. I just didn't want to have to look at them. It's just so at odds with itself. Yeah, like it's meant to be for kids. It's fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's meant to be funny. It's painfully unfunny and yeah. and like pretty base. You know, it just fails on everything it's set out to do. Mm. And like I said, the worst the worst crime of all is that the garbage pale kids ended up being really wholesome and teaching kids to be themselves. And so these are meant to be disgusting like nihilistic kind of characters like yeah. these were originally intent to like completely subvert goody two-shoe kids toys you know and then they just completely fucked that up like and failed think, in yeah. more ways than one in every way yeah so masters yeah. of the universe was genuinely entertaining yeah and was a lot more vid- visually pleasing like we said the the costumes were actually mm. really cool they really brought the characters out and <clears throat> the set pieces the set design was really cool as well um and it was just entertaining throughout like you said you were just thrown into it and all this stuff's happening and it's like oh cool stuff's happening in this film no- nothing yeah. happened in garbage <laughs> oh, no, that is true there was a thin plot <laughs> a thin plot about a, a, a fashion designer who, yeah. and they went to like a fashion show and uh, that I was would, it i would say more happened in the first 10 minutes of masters universe <laughs> than happened in an hour and a half yeah. of, of garbage Pelicans. i mean i know obviously in masters universe they're essentially just going after this key but 
you didn't want it to be too complex for a kids film anyway so no it was still entertaining and there was yeah it was, was a pretty simple was plot but even then not sim- was was quite simple enough yeah you know? there's yeah. still enough going on a, a nice satisfying ending you know yeah i have the power yeah once again like one more time at the end i have the power You're like yeah, yeah one more time it's like an encore you know and the, um, the classic full death from Skeletor. Yeah, yeah. Skeletor's a great... It's, every, no, it's a great it's villain. Like, it's yeah. everything you want from a uh, yeah. 80s fantasy film. Makes me want to watch more um, Frank Langella uh, performances. I think he's mm. really good. So, um, if you uh, like these films and you want more like this, um, for Masters of the Universe, like I said, I think Street Fighter, even though Street Fighter's not a fantasy, I think it's very similar in a lot of ways in the way it's adapting something that's sort of uh, not uh, necessarily live action and making it really cartoonish in, in the sort of process, making it quite fun. Probably Willow. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. we did we did that a few episodes ago. Yeah. Just purely from a sort of fantasy, uh, you know, swords and sorcery. Uh, there's loads of that in, in the 80s, but Willow's one of them, Conan and the Barbarian, that, that sort of thing. Um, for that, uh, if you want more things like the Garbage Pail Kids, I think... <laughs> We've probably already done them, like Troll, Troll 2, similar. They're better. They are freak, <laughs> freakish kind of little little characters. Um, Time Bandits, maybe. That's got a quite a big little person cast. I mean, I don't, I don't want to just recommend stuff with, with dwarves in it, but um, that's, all, that's all I can think of, really. Yeah, there's not really anything like uh, Garbage Pail Kids. I, stuff like Ghoulies. Ghoulies, Troll 2, Critters, that's more your sort of good animatronic horror comedy stuff. Mm. You know, I feel that's that's more well done. Uh, I think the only way we're going to get Phil Fondacaro on for a fifth time is if we do the Ghoulies films. So maybe we'll have to do those, you know. Mm. But we'll, we'll let uh, someone else maybe try and try and have a go next <laughs> next time. Okay, so it's been a while since we've done one of these episodes, of mm. course, the pandemic uh, played havoc. We we could have done this over a phone, but we wanted to be here uh, in, in a room for you guys to get the best uh, the best quality show. So we're going to be we're doing these more regularly again now. So follow us uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You know, subscribe on Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the feed, and you obviously be notified anytime we do a new episode. Go over on the YouTube channel. There's still content coming out on there. I uh, debuted a new feature during lockdown called Franchise Flashback, which I I may do more of. Um, It it was over Easter weekend when I watched all six, seven Tremors films in a a weekend. Bloody good fun, I've got to say. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's not as bad as it sounds. (laughs) Um, So if you want to know uh, what my entire retrospective of... uh, of the Tremors films in under 15 minutes, go over to the YouTube channel for Schlock Tactics. We will uh, we'll be back sooner rather than later and sooner than the last episode with, with some more schlocky goodness for you. But but get in touch in the meantime. Give us a rating on iTunes. Let us know if there's anything you'd like us to review. Leave some comments. Leave yeah. some comments. We don't have to review stuff with dwarves in it. We can do other stuff. <laughs> it's just coincidence yeah so we get drawn in to <laughs> they've just got the schlockiest filmographies yeah look at phil von Caro and imdb i encourage you but yeah that has been another episode of schlock tactics my name is ben ash and i've been joined once again by mark thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time bye, bye.